three, two, one. This is the intuitor. That's right, kid. This is the intuitor, and today's episode is hot. We talked about schooling your kids and not making them go to kid prison. We talked about Erica Badu and Lauren Hill always being late for their concerts. We talk about Taylor Swift being a weirdo. And my kid just burped on camera. The sizzle is real, only on The Intuitor. You've reached The Intuitor, where we use celebrity scandal as a vehicle for deep inner work. Join me, Onami, for all the taboo teachings, spiritual secrets, and celebrity gossip you can't help but love. The sizzle is so real, only on The Intuitor. Hello and welcome to The Intuitor. This is my favorite of all of the projects that I do and we didn't have an episode last week because we bought a house. We bought a house. It happened, I want to say it happened so fast, but it happened at the exact right time because Erotic Wealth, the first round that we did, my husband and I, Erotic wealth are what was on our vision board and what was our main mission for that whole first round was buying a house. And so we just finished point eight of erotic wealth and we had done it before, but this was our first time teaching it and to teach something is to master it. So it was literally at the exact moment that it was supposed to arrive the day after we cleared point eight. And those of you that are on my newsletter list know how like difficult point eight is, man, we were stuck there for so long about as long as we were at every other point. It took us for this round of erotic wealth, it took us about six weeks at each point to be able to get it done. And it was, for those of you that don't know what erotic wealth is, erotic wealth is our workshop on sex magic. Erotic wealth is the one for couples and autoerotic is the one for singles. And it's two different magical processes put together. So it's a, it's a magical process on creating an erotic life, which is sex magic. And then it's also an Enneagram on entering your next wealth era. So we do these two things together because so much of what people visualize when they think of the next, it's a quantum leap. So when people think of the world that they want to quantum leap into, a lot of times this world involves them having more freedom, which is enabled by having more money. Because the more money you have, the more time you can free up. And with the more free time that you have, the more you can be free to make whatever decisions that you want. So it's like a pretty substantial chunk of work. And the the wealth side of it is really about creating a business that is built to last and that won't take you bankrupt within two years or capsize within five years because both of those things happened to me and I definitely (laughs) would not want anyone else to go through that. Um, But if you don't know what you're doing, the chances of that happening to your business are really high. And so it's these two Enneagrams together. You do one lesson on the erotic and one lesson on wealth and that's what clears a point. So we had just like within 24 hours finished point eight and we're in a rental it's like a really nice and easy rental or whatever, but they had made an agreement with us that they weren't going to show it at all for the month of November. And then I got an email from our real estate agent who was also representing us for, for looking to buy a house. And I, I just always thought this guy was like, you know, whatever. 
but my husband liked him. So I was like, whatever, fine. You know, you, you can pick our real estate agent, but he texts me and informs me that he's showing the house on the 18th. I said, my fucking hole, you're showing the house on the 18th. We didn't agree to that. And he was like, well, technically in the lease, it says that we can come by. And I said, excuse me, are you threatening me with overriding my no? I said, you're fired. And sat down and meditated with my husband. I said, the fuck this, I'm not playing this game anymore. Called a real estate agent that I had met before, this like really cool lady. She was like, hell yeah. She's like, I was thinking about you guys all the time, but it wouldn't be, I couldn't reach out to you because you're working with another agent. I said, yeah, no problem. And that same day, my husband found a house that looked really, really interesting. We went and saw it the next day with her, made an offer while we were there at the house and it was approved 24 hours later. So we had literally just gotten to the point of the magical process where we're receiving the gifts. Now, the whole time this is happening, my Instagram is like blowing up. I had an Instagram before before, but it got deleted because I was breastfeeding and they called it child trafficking. Um, so that was frustrating, but I only had 5,000 followers on that account. It was like old, you know, personal account, whatever. So I had started a new Instagram. I never thought that anything would really happen with it, but I was like, whatever, you know, I'll just, I'll just keep posting stuff here. And my Instagram blew up to like 27,000 followers in the same span of time. So like while we're closing on the house and everything, like this is, this is all happening. And we, like I said, it took us six weeks at every point of erotic wealth, but now we're in the gift wave for six weeks. So when you get to point six, we're at point nine of erotic wealth where we're starting the next chapter. Um, but we're going to be here for six weeks, just like we were with everything else. And when you get to, you know, the whole first part of erotic wealth, it's like two feet of visibility. You're laying that foundation. You're hoping that it's going to work out. It starts to come together at point five. You actually have a business plan at point six, you start introducing it to the market and you start to see a glimmer of what kind of success could, this could be. Then you drop down the offer at point seven. Then you review the data at point eight and at point eight, you you still haven't gotten your thing. You've seen glimmers of it but you're like, where's my fucking house? You know, like what's going on here? And so, but then the second that you clear point eight, it just comes rushing to meet you. And it's so, every time I do an Enneagram, I'm always just like so honored and so floored that this is the teaching that I was, that I was chosen to represent because the Enneagram of personality has just completely taken over. You know, like if you look at the Enneagram, it's really only talking about the Enneagram of personality. And that is, just such a small facet of what it does like it's just it, it it's such a small facet of what it does it's such a sacred symbol and symbols are the highest level of teaching but if it wasn't for me i really feel like the the amount of teachers that are are focused on this teaching are not are very old they're not concerned at all with the internet i've actually never met a living one you have to go to like if you're studying it on the conventional fourth way path, they literally, you know, every six months or something will give you a little nibble of something else to do with it. And I was just, I even hired a fourth way teacher. Not all fourth way teachers focus on the Enneagram and even less focus on, on the real Enneagram. And so it was just so hard to, to find any information about it, but I, I didn't know what it was. I just knew that I was in love with it. I saw this symbol and I was just like, 
in love with it. I was like, I've never seen something so beautiful. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it comes from, but I just could, I was, I was enchanted by it and it was, it was like a destiny thing. And so I'm really excited. And every single time I take, this is behind everything that I do, every single workshop, but it's such a thrill to be able to take people through this process and then see how like everything comes together at the exact moment. And this was the first, you know, we're, we're the first, we have ourselves on erotic wealth and we have the second round of case studies and we have the group that's all going through it. But laying it down in video form was really like a, a significant graduation for us. So our house is so like you guys, it's so beautiful. It's like such a beautiful house. And there is this big element of surprise to it because because usually we're really big fans of like living remote, super far away, away from everybody. But since we've been on the road, our kids have been like, you know, really in a playgrounds, really in a hangout with other kids. And something that I was a little bit discouraged about with living remotely is like, I really wanted the kids to be able to like walk to the neighbor's house and have friends that they could choose from and not just friends that they were stuck with. For example, like these are the only other people in the area. And I also wanted to be able to I don't know. It's not something that I knew that I wanted, but this house that we that we just bought is like in a com it's like in a community, and that was usually something that I totally rule out. But while we were looking at the house, the neighbors were coming over to say hi, and they were all like goals, like the exact type of people that I want to be surrounded with. Everybody has multiple residences. Everybody is making money off their artistic gifts. I've got a judge and a boot who's married to a Buddhist nun or former Buddhist nun right next to me. There's a dance company. There's architects, ceramists, artists, like the only people in the community are like this. And get this, this community they have a church there, but like nobody goes to it because it's not, it's not religious like that. But they, once a year, the whole town gets together and they come up with like a, a prompt for sermons. And then in the whole summer season, whoever wants to, of any religion, any denomination delivers a sermon, but on that prompt that they all decided on. And it's like a event during the summertime where everybody like turns out and gets like church dressed to come and hear all of these different people speak. So I'm really excited because I feel like I feel like I have a destiny with that as well to be able to have people that want to come up and see what I'm up to and hear me speak and to be able to do it in a setting that's really beautiful so it there's always you know the the gift wave all occurs on the line of surrender and and a prayer that you can always say that'll never be wrong is like Thank you so much for bringing me what it is that I want and protecting me from what I think I need. Because I thought I needed to have this how. I thought I needed to be remote. I thought I needed to have all of these different things. Um, but it turns out that what I really wanted with this, and you guys, the garden's all ready to go. It's got two creeks, and then it's got a private lake that supplies all the water to the town. And that lake has a beach on it. It's a huge lake, but that lake has a beach on it that only the people that live in the town can access. It's a small, really small, it's, it's not even a town or a village. It's called like a hamlet. And so this is, it's literally so beautiful, so special, and just right on time. I made a deal with God where I was like, look, like I don't want to do sales. You know, I don't want sales to feel, just make my life look so good that my work will sell itself. Like, and, 
and that's all that I ask. And so someone had commented recently, like, you got the mysteries of the universe, but you're living in an apartment. I'm not living in an apartment, but this is just a rental. You know, it wasn't a dream house. So I was like, come on, God, I'm ready. But by law at point eight, God reaches back and pulls you to it. So it was like literally the second that we were done with point eight, we had just shot the video less than 24 hours before it was like gift wave. So the house is so pretty. There's all of these little like vignettes, like all of these little moments, like nooks and stuff in the house. The house was built in 1810 and it's not haunted. <laughs> built in 1810 and not haunted and just recently redone. But there's all, it's like such a big house and there's just so many cute little moments happening and a reading nook here, art room here, mud room here, greenhouse here is so beautiful. So we move in on the 8th and I'm just so excited. So thank you guys so much for being on this road with me. Let's get into <coughs> our podcast for the day. First thing I want to talk about is, is Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. And I'm I'm not a Swifty. I think she's super talented as a musician, but like I'm, I'm goth and punk, you know, everything about Taylor Swift from the beginning days to like the end, it's just, it's just it's like white girl all over it. Not that I don't identify with being a white girl, but I don't really identify with very much. And I'm more, I'm on the lower, you know, I'm, I'm on in the subcultures and stuff. And if I do like the type of, the, the type of show I would be most likely to go see if it wasn't some of the weird ass bands, like, I would go to anything that had like dance hall. Cause if I'm going to dance, it's going to be dance hall, but it's just not really my scene. But that being said, I think that she's a really amazing musician and she's got a seriously amazing PR team, but Taylor Swift has her role like very solidified. And that role is like, I'm the victim in every single situation. Like all these people have wronged me. And we talked about in the past, like the way that I see her deploying her fan base when something happens that she doesn't like or something happens. She can't take a joke about herself like at all. And so I, I get this real fake, this is just the intuitor talking, you know, but I get this real fake taste from Taylor. I get a really fake taste from Taylor and not just a fake taste, like, like not an Ariana Grande fake taste. And we did do an episode on this about how Ariana Grande's album was called Sweetener and she's like that fake sweet, like sweet and low. It's not fake sweet in that way. Like I feel like with Taylor Swift, like it has to be so obvious when you're with her. Like so, what I'm specifically looking at that's kind of like red flaggy for me is her relationship with Brittany Mahomes and then all of the other like footballer's wife where she's like, I'm one of you now, let's all go out together. And it's like, like does that feel does that feel real like my girl my girl had friggin notes explaining to her what football was when she first started going to the games and we did an episode on that where I'm like yo you know is it cool for Taylor to just be like I don't know anything about football <laughs> you know like I don't I don't fucking know do you have to make a cheat sheet about things you know is that being is that what authenticity is and you know maybe for her it is but I just get a funny taste from this, also there's like an eight, we you know, a little bit of age difference between her and the, you know, actual moms and wives that have been there in it for a long time. I just feel like she's sucking up. And of all the people that don't have to suck up, I would say Taylor Swift is a person that would, that would least have to do it, you know, cause she's so established. She's been doing her thing for a really long time. But like, I feel like if I was Brittany Mahomes, I'd, I'd be like, oh, so, you know, sick famous person wants to hang out you know, oh, come to the fucking box or whatever, you know, come to the, not the box, I forget the, 
where was it? It wasn't One Oak. I forget what, what bar they all went out to. But, you know, Brittany's like a mom with kids. And the other footballers, you know, they're, they're like moms. And they're doing, you know, they've been in this scene for a long time. I feel like Taylor is like, I don't know. I just get a fake taste. I just got a fake taste. Does anyone else get a fake? Travis Kelsey's mom doesn't seem to like her. I do because I feel like Travis Kelsey mom is like, there's a fake taste here. Does anyone else just think that it's so like, oh, like, oh, and this is who I am. This is the role that I'm playing now. I'm a footballer. This is my outfit. This is my thing. I'm having so much fun at the games. And I talked about this in an earlier episode where it's like, where she's like, oh, you know, like I'm doing football and I know everything that's going on. I'm such a big fan of football. And, you know, I knew who the Kansas City Chiefs were before this. Like, you don't have, Taylor, you make chai flavored cookies. Like you don't have to be like a football girl. But I felt like that was a little bit strange. But then it's like also getting box tickets for like 12 of her friends so that she could bring an entourage to the game. Like those seats are always taken. Like those seats are literally always taken. So I'm sure she, you know, whatever it was that she had to pay to get them. But that's not very like, that's not very like sport. That's not sportsmanship. You know what I mean? So I feel like I'm just getting a funny taste from this whole, from this whole Taylor Travis Kelsey thing. Now, I think the two of them together, I'm sure they're mad for each other. He's a tight end. So he, you know, he knows all about letting somebody else be the star. And on the Dumois podcast, I forget who the guest was, but he made a really good analogy about that as well. Um, but I, I don't know. It's giving, it's giving impermanence. It's giving moving really fast. And no matter how much of like the bond or the spark is there, the erotic's going to die in every single relationship. And so often when the erotic dies in a, a relationship with famous people, there's almost always cheating because it's just so possible. You know, it's just so possible to hook up with someone, have them sign an NDA and have that be like the little secret thing. But if Taylor, like Taylor Swift has her position sealed in every single relationship and no matter who it is, she just drags them for whatever reason. And we were talking about this in the last Taylor Swift podcast where I'm like, I feel like the only reason that she's so pissed off when these relationship ends is because she's the kind of girl that makes a cheat sheet on her boyfriend, but her boyfriend doesn't make a cheat sheet on her because her boyfriend can show up and be like, look, I'm, I am who I am. She's like, I can be better for you. Like Taylor Swift is not like Brittany Mahomes. Brittany Mahomes is not like Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is already established. She's already doing her things. And I, and I feel like, especially the direction that we're moving in as, as, as a whole, as a collective, is like, it's totally fine. You, not everything has to be shared. Even with more awareness about human design that everybody with sacral definition, 70% of humanity do better sleeping in their own bed. Like for real, 70% of the population are here to not share their bed with their partner. But this is just so like, what if we don't share a bed? We're not in a relationship. My husband keeps threatening. We, my husband and I started sleeping in different beds when my daughter was born. It's only for, since my daughter was born, it's only been her and I in the bed. I'm like, don't get me wrong. Like I, I, I no. I actually don't miss sleeping with my husband whatsoever. I love being able to, I like, first of all, having my room to myself. I don't like his 
freaking piles of clothes everywhere. How he decorates and how I decorate is really different. I don't want to see his shit in my room. I literally, I, I literally don't. It's not cute. <laughs> it's not cute to me. The other thing is that when we don't sleep together in the same room, there is like so much flirting and so much sneaking around to try and get a moment together. I love going to his bachelor room as well, where he can just have his clothes however he wants it. He can leave the fucking burnt out candle on his desk for as long as he wants. I don't care. It makes no difference to me. He has his own bathroom. I'm not cleaning his fucking skid marks out of my toilet. Like, I, I love having that space, but he keeps threatening to come and sleep with me in the new room. And I'm like, you're not actually invited. Like, I don't, I, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Like, I legit don't know if I'm ready for that because I just love having my own space, especially because sometimes I wake up at like 4 a.m. and write. So I love having like my own projects and my own space to do my projects in. But we'll see. I'll definitely, you guys will be the first to know if he and I start sleeping in the same room. But even like, even when we shared a bed, my husband does not like to be touched or disturbed whatsoever while he sleeps. I snore. I'm sure I talk in my sleep. I spread out. I wake up early. But like, even when my husband and I shared a bed, if I went to cuddle with him in the night, this is, what I'd go to touch him and he'd go... <gasps> You know, he'd like cringe and pull away and act all scared. I'm like, yo, like, I don't fucking miss this. You know, it's not like I'm waking up little spoon every fucking day. And it was so easy with the newborn too, because I didn't have to worry about the newborn schedule upsetting the whole family sleep schedule. I can run on very little sleep without complaining. I surrender to it. I'm like, whatever, this is where I'm at. But when the whole house is topsy-turvy because a newborn's being integrated into the sleep schedule, it was just such a nice transition. Like it was so easy for me to just have my bed with my newborn and go through that whole sleep journey with her, the nursing journey, the weaning journey, everything. I, I, just, I just love that. So I don't think that I'm set on sharing a room with my husband again, but it just seems like, like I don't, of all of the people that should not feel that they have to change to impress their boyfriend, Taylor Swift should be the pinnacle of that. I literally feel like she's playing a role. And when I see her playing a role live, I just feel like all of Taylor Swift is a role. And that underneath this like sweetness, girls, girls thing is a very strategic, sometimes very malicious, very cunning, you know, not afraid to stab you in the back too. Like we hear a lot about all of the men that have left Taylor Swift's life, but like not too much about the the women. And I don't know. I just, what do you guys think? I'll look at the comments, but I, I just get a funny taste from this whole situation. It's not a funny taste about the validity of Taylor and Travis's feelings for each other. Like I'm sure they'll be together and have a really great time. Shit, they might even get married. But she just goes so, so remember when she was dating like that Kennedy and she went through and, it, and all of a sudden it was like, everything was like 1950s and pin up and red. And she was like, I'm a presidential candidate's wife. You know, I'm a first, it was like giving first lady. And then like with, with Jake Gyllenhaal, it was like, I'm an artist, you know, I'm in New York, Brooklyn scene. I'm part of the Gyllenhaal gang, you know? And it's like, you don't have to. And then she's like, so upset so upset that he's not including her in adult conversation, you know, or that he's ignoring her at the birthday party or whatever. And it's like, this is not that big of a deal. Like, this is really not that big of a deal. You have every right to be, 
you know, to have your feelings and to be emotional about these situations. But like, maybe if you weren't trying to impress him so much, this wouldn't be so insulting. It's the codependency, you know, codependency is like needing to be like the one, you know, it's an anxious attachment to people. And of everybody that should have secure attachments only, secure attachments to money, secure attachments to relationships, secure attachments like, it should be Taylor Swift. She's a Sagittarius. This is someone who should have fucking 10 toes down all the time. Why is she, why is she playing this role? It's so lame, especially when you see how there's been a different role for every boyfriend. And the only thing that's been, it's like she comes back to herself after she's broken up with them. And she's like, I'm a singer. I'm a songwriter. I'm an artist. This is what I do. But while she's with them, she's like, I'm a wife, you know, I'm the perfect wife. It's fucking weird. It's fucking weird. And I don't think that there's any lasting relationship that can be had when you're not being authentic because that's the thing. People are more than happy to have a wedding to a role, but it doesn't take that long of being married to somebody for the act to start to wear itself down. And the thing is, is you become so insecure when you've been playing a role around somebody because you don't know how to drop it. This is like the Ariana Grande bet. You don't know how to drop it. So like when the real you starts coming out and you're like, I just don't, I, I, this person doesn't excite me enough to maintain this role all the time. And it doesn't matter if they're into it or not. It doesn't matter if they're a normie or not. It's just like when you get tired of playing that role, it's not fresh or something to this person. Instead of being like, yo, I think I'm going to be my real self. You just have to break up with them. You just have to get them out of here. And the thing is, is that you don't usually start the next relationship real. You start the next relationship with that fresh personality. That's what he's like. Wow, you really are so sweet. You're just a little angel. It's like actually Ariana Grande is licking donuts so that fat people don't eat them. Like there's these secret mean streaks. You guys know what I mean? So the I had a boyfriend who was really, really, he was super cool. He was super cool. He super pursued me. He didn't have any problems. He just liked being around me. He owned an art gallery. He had a band. He was super, he DJed. He was just like super cool, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous Taiwanese man. Like, I mean, this guy will forever have a body like a 16 year old, great in bed, Gemini, super kinky, had a car in New York, took me camping and stuff all the time. Like this guy was great. But I was bulimic the whole time that we were going out. And towards the end of our relationship, I had been bulimic since I was like 13 years old. Um, And so towards the end of our relationship, I had started getting into yoga and stuff. And I was like, I need to, I was like waking up in the night choking on my vomit and blood coming out of my nose and stuff. And so I was like, I, I've got to get, I've got to get healthy. Um, It would take me a lot longer to heal the binge eating than it would to just stop puking. So it happened. It was like a a 10 year, uh, it was like a 10 year thing for me. Uh, and you should, it'll probably take another 10 years to really genuinely love my body. Like I hunt be like, fuck yeah, I'm about myself. Cause I'd love, I love it in waves, but I can, you know, that's, that's a lot of thinking to change your mind around. It doesn't mean it can't be done. I'm just want to acknowledge anybody else that's on the, the ED recovery journey that it's, it happened. It's, it shifts and changes and there's always a new level that you can go to, but the sex gets a lot better with every new level that you go to because you're, you're not so identified with the body. 
And I've got to say, like, that's improved drastically. But I think, you know, it's all it's also converged with like post like I just finished nursing my daughter a few months ago. And so now it's like when you're breastfeeding, you're like, okay, maybe there's going to be more body shifts. But now, you know, once breastfeeding is over, you're like, okay, this is the reality of where my body is now that I'm no longer pregnant or breastfeeding. So like, am I cool with this? Do I want to upgrade? Because there's no like magic coming to save me. So I'm kind of there right now. But for the most part, uh, I'd say I'm about 50-50 on loving my body. Sometimes I love it and other times I'm just like, oh, can I just be, can't I just like look like somebody? Can't I just look like somebody else? I don't mind thinking like me and being like me, but sometimes I just wish I looked like somebody else. And who's that somebody else, you know, who was that core, that first person where you were like, wow, if I had their body, I would be a better person. Like for me, that person was absolutely Kate Moss. Like to me, that was the only, you know, and and the reason why was because she was like the first short model as well. So it was like, okay, like you can be a model if you're short. She was five, seven. You can be a model if you're short, but you have to look like Kate Moss. So that was like, okay, 107 pounds. That's what I got to be. This is the direction that I have to go in. And, and that just like overrode everything from age 13 to you know, age 26. It was, it was gnarly. But now I gotta say, especially after watching, I never thought that I would be the type of person who was like mediums, I no offense to all my smalls out there, but I never, as somebody that's like a perennial medium, I never thought that I would ever think that a medium was like more attractive than a small but I gotta say after watching Yellowstone I'm like medium's the fucking vibe dude like that's and I really want to be like muscular as well so that's you know maybe this is just the next mountain that I'm climbing but there's too much what when I have a strong physical practice I feel very powerful regarding business. Like there's, when I, when I do, when I seek out things that are hard in a physical aspect every single day, when I'm met with challenges in other areas of my life, like they don't daunt me at all. And so I talk a lot about how, you know, there's these three sacred forces that we have. There's the three sacred impulses. The first one is I am. And that's the first one that has to establish. Then there's I can, and then there's I wish. And a lot of people just try to make things happen with the I am and I wish. So like I am, I have this God force, I wish, this is what I want to happen. But there's not the bridge of I can that makes sure that you can execute on these dreams. And there is such a lack of this in the world. It's the Manipura chakra, it's the ego, it's the strength, it's your will. There is such a lack of this in the world and so many people are trying to are trying to rise up with their third eye and their root, but without that junction of their core to make it happen. And so when you work out, it creates an excess of the I can force and that I can force comes with you wherever it is that you're wanting to work. But I like I, I'm on a 40 day workout mission with my husband right now. And so I just, when I'm on a 40 day workout mission, we're doing something every day for 40 days. I just have to write what the last, I'm like, okay, we're doing this till December 21st and I'm just not going to think about it. And and your work ethic and your workout ethic always mirror each other. Like my, my relationship to doing hard things or tackling difficult things is, is 
completely, they're, they're just parallel lives, my workout and my work ethic. But something that I learned from the last time we were doing a big stretch of, of hard workouts was like, I don't think about something until you're going to do it. Like any thoughts that like the whole concept of mental preparation, like I need to mentally prepare for this workshop workout, or I need to mentally prepare to write a book or mentally prepare to be with my kids right now, or whatever it is that you're mentally preparing for. That's only you talking yourself out of something and not talking yourself into something. And that it's so much more useful to not think about something at all before you do it, to just like show up and do it. And when I started doing that with my work, Workouts. I started doing that with my work and I used to spend so much time in regards to work, like being overwhelmed, like, oh, look at all these things that I have to do. And from working out, I learned how to just like wipe my mind when it comes and when it's time to work, show up and work. And when it's time to work out, just show up and do it. But so much, I was like literally organizing time in my schedule for mental preparation. You don't need to mentally prepare to do anything. Like literally, and if you think you need to mentally prepare to do things like SATs and stuff like that, you should definitely read The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer. And that audiobook is narrated by the author. And so it's really just hearing him tell his story. It's a super, super, super good book, especially if you uh, have any questions about like what surrender is. Like surrender does not mean stopping working hard. It just means releasing your preferences in life. It's literally such a good book. I listened to it and then I made my husband listen to it because I love it so much. Someone's here says, I do my best unprepared. Yeah, all of us do. The amount of people that have a TED Talk plan and then throw it out before they go to give that speech. There's like so many of them. Thank you so much. All right, so what other news do we have in this week? So Kourtney Kardashian had her baby. Hooray for Kourtney. And her, recently what was going viral was like her and Kim talking about their parenting styles. And this might be like a controversial topic, but something's only controversial if it's the first time you're hearing it. So it's not really like... This isn't an argue. This isn't an argument to me. Um, but Courtney Kardashian's kids are like notoriously difficult. She's gone through so many nannies, and I'm not saying that the other moms' kids aren't difficult, but Courtney's kids have a reputation for being super difficult to manage. Like there was a big deal where Penelope, their daughter, bit one of the nannies. And it was like, and, and Courtney just goes through nannies like crazy. And I used to be a nanny and I came into a couple of families where they had had like a big you know, circulation. There's no authority when the nanny's constantly changing where it's like, if you don't like something the nanny does, they're out and new ones in. It's just like disposable workers where it's like, how much hell can we put them through until they quit? And that's like that's so that's not a position that you want to be in so many parents are afraid of their kids like afraid of how their kids are going to react if they say no and if you're afraid of your kids you fundamentally don't like them and if you're if you don't like your kids they don't have a shot in the world like it's really your responsibility to make sure that you like being around your kids whatever it is that that takes because if you don't love them who's who's going to and there's this big like myth out there in the world that discipline is abuse or that discipline equals spankings or that but disciplining your kid is love and I don't mean like I grew up in a super abusive doomsday cult so when I say discipline I'm not talking about spankings I'm talking about guiding your children's behavior 
by interfering earlier rather than when it's already a catastrophe and they're all strung out and you can't, you know, you can't calm them down whatsoever. Discipline is like constantly nudging somebody back into line and always looking for new tools to be able to do this because when you don't discipline your kids, they'll literally just run the entire house. They'll run the entire house. You can't have, and it's your job to help them make the decisions. There's this really kind of fucked up thing going on right now where it's like, well, let the kids be the boss. If you had any other work environment where somebody that was untrained and volatile and didn't know how to guide anything is ruling the whole company, like... This is kids want to be guided. They want to look to you as their rock and their leader because you know what to do in a situation. And they get super overwhelmed when you give them no guidance. When you give them too many decisions, they just get super overstimulated by the whole thing. And I'm not an expert on raising children. Shit, I'm not even, but I am an expert on my children and you're an expert on your children. And nobody else's opinions on how child rearing should happen, you know, it's it's ultimately all coming down to you. But one of the biggest things that I've learned in my life is about like the importance of discipline. And I'm working with a CEO coach right now. And one of my companies, my company has three core values. There's growth, flow, and discipline. So always be growing, always be moving in the direction that we're aiming for, always be growing in every possible way. Always be in flow. Never let a deadline override a lifeline. Like there's a, there's things will always happen in flow. But in order to make these, it's taken me a long time to understand flow. So how does flow transcend to a company culture? If, if it took me so long to master it with discipline. Like if I give my word to something, I fucking keep it. If I say this is going to be done by this date, I will not procrastinate on it. I have no problem sacrificing instant gratification as much as I want to achieve a certain outcome. And if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And to be able to rely on myself like that, like I don't, I may not be able to rely on other people, but in my business, because of discipline, I will have people that I can rely on. And my kids can rely on me to keep my word because I keep my words starting with the words that I make to myself. And so discipline is the ability to sacrifice instant gratification to reach a long-term reward. And your kids, for them to learn this early on, they're going to have to learn it somewhere in life. So while you still have them under your watch, you can teach them how to supply this discipline for themselves so that they don't have to get shot on by teachers or employers or anything like that. And if you're like, oh, well, let's let the kids be the boss because maybe they'll be an entrepreneur one day. Like you will never be an entrepreneur if you don't have an incredible amount of self-discipline. If you don't have an incredible amount of self-discipline, the ability to step outside your preferences and your wants and everything that you want for right now and be like, this is what I really want in the long term. This is all the hard work and persistence and dedication it's going to take to get here. This is the whole big list of things that I'm going to have to say no to. Like... If you if you can't do that, then you're never going to be you're never going to be successful, and you're actually going to be. I don't want to say that going bankrupt or something is a failure, but going bankrupt over and over again and not figuring out why it is that these things aren't profitable, that that would really start to look like failure over time. You have to be able to get yourself organized 
keep your word to yourself and make it happen. Someone said something on here that I really, um, I don't have much context, but she says his school keeps telling me he's behind, but as his mom, I know he learned what he needs when it's time. It's frustrating. I am so 10 toes down against the formal education system, like 10 toes down against it. Now, caveat, I understand that a lot of moms need this as childcare, but we don't have a nanny. And I wanted to make sure that that wasn't a money block. We had somebody that wanted to be working with us for a long time. The kids love her. We love her. So just for the last couple of weeks, we, we tried doing three days a week, her with the kids for four hours a day. But the thing is, is that like my kids are all over the place. They're so excited before she's showing up that they like don't eat and they're all over the place. And then while they're with her, they're so excited that they don't eat or they're just kind of doing whatever. And then afterwards, they're all like dysregulated because she's gone and they haven't seen us all day. It was so much more work to get my kids back to calm after having somebody come in and out way more work than it was to just keep them around. And we've only ever done our business with our kids around. Educating your children doesn't take that much time. Like, cause they're always learning from you. And when you, when children learn in response to a question they're asking, it's not rote memory. If my son asks me like, Hey, if a lizard freezes outside, can you put it in the microwave and it'll come back to life? Yeah, actually it can. And then we watch some YouTube videos on it and then he remembers it forever. Like we are such big fans of YouTube learning here. And the only thing that's been, you know, the kids might not naturally it can be scary to see like my oldest is not super interested in reading whatsoever. And children don't like to be tested. Like it's so this entire concept of making your kids prove to you that they're learning. Learning is natural. Learning happens with everything you do with everywhere you go. Like learning is natural. Forcing a child to prove that they're learning by putting them in a stressful situation and being like, how much do you remember? Like, have you ever been through a sobriety test? Can you say the alphabet backwards? What? Of course I can't say the alph alphabet backwards, especially not when the fucking pressure's on me. I am 10 toes down so against the public education system because it's not that it's failing, it's that it's literally failed. Everything that your child is being trained for in school is something that AI is going to replace. The only thing that AI can't replace is their own creativity, their ability to solve problems. And that's what creativity is. It's not just painting an art, it's being able to solve problems. And the amount of unique problems that they would interact with in unsupervised play, unsupervised, not surveillance, unsupervised play, the amount of problems that they're faced with and they get to overcome naturally is like so much greater. And the experiences that they're having is like so much more rural, not even to mention the concept of behavior charts and rating children's behavior as good, bad, right, wrong. This is fucked up. This is fucked up. 80% of school children want to be YouTubers. 80% of school children want to be YouTubers and they will never learn how to have a great YouTube channel where they are in school. If your kids have to go there for childcare, 
I get it. I understand. This is why I have so many tools around starting businesses and why I'm always telling people before you have kids, think about what kind of parent you want to be and start. Make, don't wait for someone to save you. If the type of parent you want to be has this much time with their children, then you need to build a business now so that it can be profitable in some years so that you can make this happen. But your child is special. Your child is special. Thomas Edison, the guy that created the light bulb, this story is going to make me cry, but Thomas Edison, the guy that created the light bulb, got sent home with a note from his teacher. And the teacher said, give this to your mom and don't read it. He takes the note home and the mom opens it in front of him and says, this teacher says that you are too smart for the school, that you are so gifted that we have to find you private teachers. All right, I guess that's what we're going to do. And I'll teach you in the meantime. When his mom died, when he was way older, he was going through his stuff and he found the letter from the teacher. And the letter from the teacher said, this child is addled. Addled means mental disabilities. This child is addled. He's too disruptive in our class. Teach him yourself. He'll never do anything. The man that invented the light bulb was told by teachers that this kid was a failure. That mom is goals. That mom is goals. And every child has a different learning style as well. And you can learn from human design what that learning style is. I will, I'll book a, I'll book a session with my human design guide to learn this so that I can transmit it to you. But I, I only learned this from him. His name's Steven Rebolletto. We've done a lot of work together, a lot of sessions together. But my son learns from trial and error. And so he only learns by making mistakes, like an inventor. I also learn by trial and error. So I have to try things to find out if it doesn't work. It doesn't matter how many people are like, don't do this, definitely do this. I have to try it myself because that's the only way I learn is trying something and failing at something. So for my son's unique learning style, we definitely celebrate failures as data around here, 110% failures as data. My daughter learns like a sponge. So it's really for her, my son will publicly try and fail. So I can see that he's learning by how many times I see him attempting something new and seeing how it goes. We don't, mistakes are totally fine around here. It's all a part of our artistic process. My daughter, on the other hand, absorbs like a sponge. And then how we find out what she's learning is we get in situations where it's almost like, let's find out how much you know. So for example, I was like, okay, Wiley, count. I wanted to see how high she could count to. Wiley wanted to give me water. And when you're with your children, everything is a learning experience. You don't have to stop and sit down and be like, okay, now we're going to do school. Simulating the school environment at home, like completely defeats the purpose of doing it completely defeats the purpose of doing it. But for example, there's opportunities all over the place. And we have like goals that we're trying. It's like, okay, in seven days, we want this. In 30 days, we want this. In 90 days, we want this. So let's all just kind of touch base. Like this is, these are these different milestones that, that we're looking for. And if we don't reach them, it's fine. But we want to know that we're, that we're trying to get there. So, but my daughter wanted me to drink. So we got a new like Brita water dispenser and she loves filling it up. So I said, okay, you count how long it's going to take me to finish this glass of water. And as I'm chugging the water, she's counting and counting way higher that 
that she's counting way higher than I would have thought that she did. So children are always learning no matter what. This person here says, what qualifies me as a legitimate source of information? I mean, I don't know, honey. What I think that you should ask yourself is what is it about me that's so compelling that you'll sit here and listen to 20, 30 minutes of monologue? That's what I want to know. What is it about the way that I'm speaking to you that's so compelling that you just have to know what it is that we're working on here? So Kim, now here's to bring it back to the Kardashians. There was a scene in like the most recent episode where the kids, it's, it's true. And I think, I think it's true and dream, but they're calling, you know, Chloe's talking to her mom and the kids are going, mommy, 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 mommy. And Chris very sharply, she'll be there in a minute. She says very sharply. And you can hear the producer being like, oh, we'll cut this out. And Chris is like, no, leave that in. And in Chris Kardashian's book, which is called In All Things Kardashian, in Chris Kardashian's book, she's talking about how disciplined she was growing up, especially as it relates to cleanliness. And one of her big things, and she's like, her kids were always taught about the importance of work and working in the family store and starting working really young. I think this is super healthy and super good for all kids. Like kids love to have a job. They love to feel like they're not just taking up space. They love missions. They love learning. They love, they love all of this stuff. And, um, you know, you can find out pretty young with them, like, what do you love to do? Finding out what they love to do. The first six years of their educational life is really just you observing what they're into and then learning how to pull that out. But setting really high standards for your own life. Like, for example, we're super adamant about cleanliness in our home. We're super adamant about living in a clean home with no clutter, keeping things right and tight all the time. And my kids just see me cleaning. They love to fold. They love to help me. I don't force I'm not like, okay, now we have to clean. But when they, what, when they see how much I love it and how much pleasure it brings me and how we walk around smelling the house after it's been mopped and loving that, like it's just a part of our family culture. But it's pretty easy to see, you know, some of the things that kids really love if you're just observing them. And, and even sometimes the like pressure can come in. I can put the pressure on myself of being like, okay, well, we really have to teach, you know, let's, let's do more focused physical education with the kids. And thank God I was talking to my CEO coach because I I was realizing that I was about to start holding my kids to a different standard than I would hold anybody else. And, and the standard is always observe and then and then based on their interests, supply, help to foster these interests more and more. But we were about to enroll my son in like daily martial arts practice with his dad because he used to teach martial arts to kids. So we we're like, obviously we should utilize this. But my son's not interested in martial arts and it would be such a, what he loves is distance running. So what would be so much more effective is to focus on the things that he loves and help him get better and better at that than to try and force him to do something just because we have the pieces there to do it and like if I could only teach my kids one thing it would just be that like you can figure anything out like if you want to build a go-kart there's a YouTube video on that for sure so there's the internet 
and there's books and whatever it is, you can go from not knowing anything about something to becoming a master at it if you just keep looking and if you just keep trying. And we're very much educating with the internet and and for our family, I feel like that's very on brand and, and that it works. But Chris Kardashian in her book is always talking about how she would make the kids wipe out the sinks afterwards and how they didn't have like a weekend schedule and a weekday schedule. Like no matter what, she would always wake her kids up at 7 a.m. every single day and like, let's go. The whole family's generators and manifesting generators as well. So they can do, it would be so strange for them if they had like a, well, actually, I don't know what Rob's human design is, but I should look it up. It would be so funny if Rob was like the one projector in the family, but they always, uh, they, they just always had that type of discipline, discipline around cleanliness, excuse me, discipline around cleanliness and discipline around time and using up all the time in the day. And I'm a big fan of that. So there's a lot of hate for the word discipline nowadays, but discipline doesn't mean spankings. And there's so many ways. Discipline is just small checks, small checks before it becomes a situation where you're mad at your kids. When it comes to us and our specific strategy for discipline, like there's three levels of discipline. There's words, behavior, and emotion. My kids are not allowed to take me to emotion. They're not allowed to take me to emotion. My kids are not allowed to make me angry. I have reinforcement. They're not allowed to get me there. So the first is words. I'm going to tell you with words, stop doing that. If you don't listen, and this is always the language that I use with my kids, and I'm surprised, I'm not saying that this will work for your kids. Shit, sometimes I can, I have to, I'm like always telling my husband, like, tell him words behavior, tell him words behavior. And my husband just like doesn't get it. But it works with me every time I use this with my kids. My kids can be so stubborn. But words, behavior, emotions. So, I, so the first thing I give is words. Please don't do that. Do this instead. If you don't listen to my words, you're going to get the behavior. The behavior might be me yelling. The behavior might be you going on timeout. The behavior might be you having to stand in the corner. The behavior might be, you know, whatever. And I clearly describe what the behavior is going to be. But there's the last time I'm telling you with words, then we're going to go to behavior. But there is no going to emotions for me. And when you don't have small checks for your kids, you start to feel disrespected. You start to feel overwhelmed. And then it can become an emotional situation. And disciplining from emotions is always going to be abuse when you can't when there's not buffers between the incident and your emotions like that's when you can say things that even if you never lay a hand on your kid even if you never do timeouts or anything like that even if it's like a Kourtney Kardashian situation you can be absolutely vicious with your words when you're in an emotional state so you want to have something to kind of absorb the shock so that your kids can't make you emotional and they're looking to you for guidance and they're looking to you to know what the fuck is going on and you can really be that for them but trust your kids and especially when it if your kids are not having a good time in school I know you might be worried that you might not be able to work and have your kids at home I do it I've done it this whole entire time I've done it the whole entire time and this has not been my husband doing fucking five hours of childcare a day like it's been split 50-50 from the beginning. Right now, my daughter is napping downstairs. My son is playing marbles with his dad. We do not have restriction around screen times here. We just do not give our kids. We don't offer it. We don't offer and we don't decline. So if they want to watch TV and it's their idea, totally fine. If they 
but if it's not their idea, we're not going to flick the TV on for them. We don't offer and we don't decline. As a result, I'm almost always wishing that my kids would watch more TV, but they don't. I'm like, you guys can watch like 20 minutes of a TV show and then you're done. But that's just, that's just the way that they are. But we aren't, and I feel, I, I've had friends and stuff that are like really anal about their kids and screens. And it's easy for me to like pick up on their guilt. But do I love YouTube? Hell fucking yeah. Do I learn like crazy on the internet? Hell fucking yeah. Are my kids learning like crazy on the internet? Hell fucking yeah. We let our kids watch whatever the hell they wanted to starting at like a really young age. And now my son's favorite shows are so cool. Like I'm so in his favorite show is this guy named Jacob Fetter on YouTube that rescues animals and got so popular on YouTube that he started his own zoo in South Florida. And that's my kid. And my son is so he always tells his daughter, he always tells my daughter that he's like these baby shows try and get you to do things like sharing they try and make you believe that sharing is a good thing these baby shows like Coco Melon, they try and make you think that doing these things are good but they're just trying to get you to believe something and I'm like wow that's so sick that you're spotting propaganda in kids shows like that's fucking rad turtle YouTubes oh my god I'm obsessed other shows my kid my son also really loves this show called styro pyro this guy that makes like laser guns he has a, all different interests but basically there's nothing i love more than when he asks me like a complicated question and we can go to on a youtube hunt for it something that we did recently like when we were in costa rica which was so cool is looking up coconut factories is looking because we wanted to find out how they how they husked coconuts on like a mass scale any one of like the finding out like factory videos of these different things how chocolates made we love the korean bakery assembly line videos there's like 45 minute videos there's this other channel we love called dancing bacons which is this guy that lives in japan and it's like japanese vending machine foods and like weird japanese restaurants those ones are really cool and he has a super cute girlfriend that always goes <laughs> she's super cute um love that who else does he who else does he love my daughter likes anything with with songs she likes anything with songs but she also likes bluey and peppa pig and stuff she but she learns so much from singing like she's got a really good memory for songs and so because i know this about her like i'm not concerned that she's watching cocomelon or anything like that all i know is that she has a really good memory for songs so if i ever need her to learn something then give it to her in song form and she'll definitely my kid loves watching storm chasers oh i gotta show that to my kid there's another one we watch called outdoor boys and outdoor boys is this dad with like three sons that's always taking them on like crazy camping trips like we're talking like alaska ice fishing with five-year-olds like sub-zero yeah outdoor boys yeah outdoor boys is sick we watch these other ones called like the survival so it's like the time lapses of these people in like thailand or cambodia or something just using their pickaxes to make like dirt houses and stuff we watched a lot of laziki we've been watching isabel page since like the beginning her building her own tiny home youtube with kids is so much fun like i fucking love screen time with my kids and then we have like my son was off of the studio g cartoons for a long time he was like very anti watching them but now he's watched castle in the sky like the last three nights in the row and so i love i love that but it's storm chasers that's definitely we so i have also like the youtube kids app and i put specific shows on that for them 
Um, I put, but I, I don't really like them just browsing around YouTube because there's too much, you know, I don't want them to see anything gory or whatever, but the YouTube kids app is pretty easy to, to get up and get running. I'll definitely look up storm chasers. We watch like most dangerous catch and, and stuff like that. Dude, just know this is that like for every there as a mom, especially on social media, so many moms will show up and be like, what you're doing is wrong. Just know that for every person that says that that's so wrong what you're up to. There's an equal amount of people that are like, that's so right. That's so right on any topic, on any topic, whether it's early reading or spankings or screen time or not screen time or eating gluten or eating sugar, whatever. Like for every mom that says that's so wrong, there's gonna be another mom that says that's so right. So just do you. Seriously, just do you and do it proudly and you will find your people. So what are my plans for high school for, for my kids? I mean, basically I'll cross that bridge when they get to it. But one thing I know for sure is that there is no way I'm training my kids to do jobs that they're not interested in. No ways. So if I already have, hopefully by the time they're 12 or 13, we'll already have them working on what's going to be their business. Hopefully by the time we're 12 or they're 12 or 13, and, and it's okay if they want to pivot nonstop. Like that's my whole mission with them and education is like, what do they, what do they want to do? How can, and you can build anything with practice. Like I really love that they get to see me starting out bad at so many different projects and then getting good with more and more practice. Um, Oh, and just so you guys know, if you have any insecurity or whatever about communicating your schooling plans to the school district, I use something called Bridge Academy, which helps you to take everything that your kids learned over the year through free schooling with you and put that in a transcript. And then you can tell your friends, it's technically a private school, it's $200 a year. So it's technically a private school, but they handle all of that communication between, there's no tests, there's no overlap or anything like that if you have in-laws or something that are kind of breathing down your neck or neighbors that are breathing down your neck they're enrolled in private school it's a hundred percent legit it was started by this woman named leah mcdermott her name is your natural learner on tiktok and youtube she is so good and we're like super anti video games just as a, a matter of personal preference that's based on my my husband's own data and my own data, but that's just like a no for our family, no Roblox, no anything like that. We have some educational games on their iPads, but just like Learny Land, like and Khan Academy, just stuff like that. That's our one, that's our one thing. And but she is also like a really big fan of video games. So if you also want to know how video games translate into learning and all of that, like she's a really good, she's taught me so much. I'm on her newsletter list. My kid is enrolled in Bridge Academy. My daughter will get enrolled in Bridge Academy when she's four. And it's just so nice to not have to have any, you know, you're just not worried about if the state's going to come and get mad at you. My friend over here says my oldest is 12 and she has a few businesses in mind. Help her do that help her do that. The lady that started Smart Suites and Smart Suites just sold for 33 million, which isn't actually that high for that company, but you know, you sell it to be able to sell a business is great. To be able to be up $33 million by the time you're 26 years old is pretty sick. Um if you think about the lady Emily Weiss that started Glossier, like her parents didn't really care what she did in school, but she started as an intern for Ralph Lauren when she was 15 and she built a billion dollar company before she was 30. So then that's Glossier. So 
that, you know, when you know what your kids are interested in and you can help them get there, like that is so much more useful because they'll be able, even if all these business, the first businesses go bankrupt, they'll be so, they'll know that they're never going to be starting from scratch. They're going to be starting from experience. My data on video games is that my nephew and my younger brother were the only ones that were allowed to play video games. The rest of us grew up in a cult and were never allowed to touch it. And the difference between, and we all endured the same amount of trauma and, but the unique situation with my nephew and my younger brother compared to everyone else on either side of the family is just like, and that's still all they want to do all day is play video games for like six to eight hours a day. I don't believe in, in investing time in, in being a high achiever in a, in an artificial reality. I want my kids to, to save all of that energy of feeling like I can do it and I can problem solve for real world problems, because we all know that there's more than enough problems that you're going to face in, in real life. But here's really the point. My, my husband and I, neither of us play video games. Neither of us have ever dated people that played video games. We're like outdoor people. So for people who love playing video games and get a lot of fun out of it, that's just your family culture. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. We're just the people, you know, we're the weird people that don't get video games. So that's not in our family culture, but our family culture is not the right one. That's just like not right for us. And everything about our life is very organized and like living around more nature and you being able to be more and more in nature all of the time. So that's, that's like our, that's like our brand. Um, yeah, and I have pranayama on YouTube, the pranayama for mouth breathers. Let me just plug this in. There was one more thing that I wanted to talk about today. And while we were here, whoopsie daisy, I'm going to have to be really creative about how I'm able to get the replay of this up on my podcast because my microphone and my recording went out. My fucking computer screensaver just went off and I lost this whole recording. So sorry for everyone listening to the podcast. You guys are going to have to hear a grab from a, from one of my live streams here. But so the other, um, here's what my friend says here. My 19 year old makes so much money streaming and competing in Fortnite. That's amazing for him. Huge earning potential. See, and that I love that for him. But something else I know is that my brother and my nephew have been trying to, that's been like, they're like, yeah, I could do this. I could do this as a job. Every time I play video games, it's getting me closer to doing this. And, uh, and it's just never happened for them. And if this was somebody else in business, I would be like, maybe we should try something else. But it's just too, it's, it's so, but also my brother and my nephew have this combination of video games and being raised in an extremely abusive environment. And you obviously aren't raising your children in an abusive environment. So it was, you know, had to have been that, that combination. It's just that everyone else in my family that wasn't allowed to play video games figured it the fuck out and they're all doing, you know, as a sign from the PTSD, they're doing mostly good. But like my, my brother and my nephew are like literally in, incompetent, mentally incompetent, physically incompetent, just like not, not doing and for years in and out. Uh, it's just been like a, a crazy situation and, and nothing changed because all they want to do is play video games. They like get out of one situation and like play more video games. I'm like, geez, Louise, this is so crazy. Let me see. Um, so the, the last thing that I wanted to talk about here was, so Lauren Hill's on tour right now and everybody is talking about how late she is. 
And Erica Badu had like a reputation for being late. And I don't know if you guys remember, but Erica Badu made this like Facebook post about how uh, she made this Facebook post about how she's an artist and she's not really on Kronos time. And so she shouldn't have to do this thing. And I'm a Capricorn. So punctuality is one of my highest values. And I do. And also I've learned how to go with the flow. Like I was supposed to be here at one today. And instead I was here at one fifteen because my husband was putting my daughter down for a nap. And it would be a lot easier to do this podcast while my daughter's napping versus when she really needs to go down for a nap and is melting down. So I said, all right, I'm okay with being a little late for this thing. But if this was one of my classes, like no ways, I'm never late for my classes, no ways. Um, but there is this kind of distaste that people have for time, you know, especially linear time or chronological time. And the more artistic and the more flow-based you are, the, the, the less you want to adhere to this government time. You know, why should I have to be anywhere when I say that I'm supposed to be there? And when time was first invented, it had these two facets, the Kronos and the Kairos. And Kronos was the god, the god that was told by one of the other fates that one of he would be overthrown by one of his sons. So Kronos would always eat one of his sons the moment that they were birthed. And and this is the self-devouring nature of Kronos time. It's always like eating itself. But they didn't say, and we should do away with Kronos time. Like, yes, it has a very harsh way, but it's necessary. And then the other type of time was called Kairos time. And Kairos means weather. And Kairos is about the right moment. And so Kairos was like a very young god who had, I get, I have to see what he looks like. So Kronos, Kairos had hair in the front, but he was bald in the back. So long hair in the front and bald in the back. And the reason why he was like this is because if the moment is passing you by, you can grab onto it and it'll pull you through flow wherever it is that you want to go. But if the moment passes you by, if Kairos passes you by, he's bald on the back. You can't grab him. You can't. Yeah, my friend here says, I remember this story you told your son and posted to TikTok. So beautiful. Too bad TikTok called that child trafficking. It's like the most beautiful lesson, but it is on my YouTube. If you look up like YouTube shorts, it says some, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll find it and I'll link it somewhere, but you guys might, you can, you can find it on my YouTube, but there are these two types of time and, and Kronos is about finding the right minute, like the right minute to record this podcast is going to be at 1 PM. And that's useful because then we all know like, okay, cool. 1 PM is when this thing is going to happen and we can all meet up there. But Kairos is the right moment. So if the right moment is like when my daughter goes down for a nap in the future, I'll, I'll make Kairos timelines when I can and say, instead of being here at 1 PM, I'll be here when my daughter goes down for a nap, it'll be around 1 PM. And that way I don't have to worry about being late because I'm showing up at the right moment. But for some things, you know, the Intuitor is a podcast that I do for fun. And people aren't relying on me to show up here and, and teach it. But if- <laughs>